Father, we thank you that all scripture is God-breathed and profitable for our instruction and training in righteousness, for reproof and comfort and consolation. So, Father, thank you for this story of Ittai the Gittite, and we ask you, please, by your Holy Spirit, to speak it afresh to us and to enable us to respond to you with our minds, our hearts, our souls, with your Spirit in us, in Jesus' name. Amen. Fancy calling somebody a git. Ittai the Gittite. Who? Now, there are only three people in the Holy Scripture with the appellation Gittite in Scripture. There's Ittai, who insisted on accompanying David when he had to flee Jerusalem when his son Absalom led a revolt against him. There's Obed-Edom, who was a Levite, who was one of the gatekeepers in David's time. And there was Goliath, the giant whom David, while still a shepherd boy, killed with a slingshot. Gittite means from Gath, which was a Philistine city. So does this mean that David has somehow picked up 600 Philistines led by this man Ittai to fight on his side? It does look like that when we read in verse 19 of our passage, David says to him, oh, you're a foreigner, you're an exile from your homeland. But if so, how could that be true of Obed-Edom, who is a genuine descendant of Levi and yet described as a Gittite? So join me, if you would, in a little detective work. David had two stays in Gath before he became king, and they represent the two lowest times in his life. And this is probably, as he runs away from Absalom, the third lowest time in his life. Well, and fourth, if you could count the Bathsheba one. So first of all, he is on the run from Saul at this first visit to Gath. He has had to take refuge with the inveterate enemy of God's people, King Achish of the Philistines whose champion, Goliath, he has destroyed. And indeed, in a remarkable display of tactlessness, he's brought Goliath's massive sword with him, according to 1 Samuel 21, verse 10. So to turn up in Gath, waving Goliath's sword and say, hello, I've come to live with you, you that's chanting your arm a bit. Not surprisingly, the servants of Achish said to the king, Look, um, isn't this David, the king of the land? I mean, isn't he the one they sing about in their dances? Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. And David thinks, uh, this may not have been a terribly good idea. And so he has to feign insanity. And we are treated to the unedifying spectacle of the anointed of God dribbling all over his beard and scribbling on the city gates. Can this really be God's best for his chosen one? David quickly runs away. He runs to the cave of Adullam, where he writes Psalm 56, in which we see a man coming to grips with his fears and choosing to put his trust in God. And then he wrote Psalm 34, in which he confidently proclaims his faith in God's sovereignty. And God wonderfully delivers and transforms the situation because first his own brothers and then about 400 other people join him there. Well, the years go by. David has sort of got his community. He's clearly the leader of it all. Um, And after about eight years, 1 Samuel 27, by which time his band has grown to 600 men, he again loses confidence and he thinks to himself, 
One of these days I shall be destroyed by the hand of Saul. The best thing I can do is to escape to the land of the Philistines. Then Saul will give up searching for me anywhere in Israel, and I will slip out of his hand. So he and his men go over to Achish, the king of Gath, again. And they're given the little city of Ziklag as their base. And they live there for 16 months, and they use it as a hub from which to raid the neighbouring towns of the Amalekites, slaughtering everybody there, so that no one will be left to contradict David's lie to Achish that he's been busy killing Jews, thereby making it impossible for him ever to be accepted by his own people again. So again, it's not one of the most edifying things for the king to have been doing. The upshot of it is that Achish takes David on as his personal bodyguard. Well, that sounds all right until you realise that the consequence will be that David has to fight against God's people when all the Philistines plan a mass attack on Israel. Is that going to make for a glorious, peaceful reign when the time comes for him to rule over the families of those he's killed? What about all that stuff he'd said about not raising a hand against Saul as God's anointed? Oh dear, David's blown it again. I do find it wonderfully reassuring to read about King David because he does make a complete mess of things. Again, again, he is the greatest man in the Old Testament. He is wonderful. But gosh, he does keep blowing it and God has to keep bailing him out. And again, God gloriously gets him out of the scrape he's got himself into because the other Philistine kings refuse to have David fighting with them just in case he decides to change sides in mid-battle. So they say, send him away, and David acts all hurt. And he takes his 600 men back to Ziklag, only to discover that whilst they've been gone, the Amalekites have been getting their own back and taken all their wives and children and property. And David's men are devastated. There's talk of stoning him. But he and 400 of his 600 men give chase. They get everything back. And then he is told that Saul has been killed in the pitch battle he'd had to leave. So he'll be able to go on to become king of Judah with no godly blood on his hands. And where you may ask, is Ittai the Gittite in all of this? Well, did you notice the repeated theme of 600 men? David has had 600 men join him before he goes to Gath the second time. He has 600 men when he comes back to Ziklag. And when he has to flee Jerusalem to get away from Absalom, all the 600 Gittites who had accompanied him from Gath marched before the king. So actually, it rather looks as though Gittite was a badge of honour given to everyone who'd been with David through thick and thin, right back to those times in Ziklag. It's a sort of regimental name, like the old contemptibles given to the members of the British Expeditionary Force of 1914. This month, apparently, is the time when one, they have a special celebration uh, in Sussex for the um, uh, uh, boys of the old brigade who were on the British Expeditionary Force and who uh, all came back 100 years ago. I suppose a similar idea might be if you referred to people who were at Dunkirk as Dunkirkites. They never lived in Dunkirk, they aren't Belgian or French, but they were there at a crucial time. Now, I've gone into this in what you may feel to have been inordinate detail, because I had been planning to give you a stirring sermon about how no one, whatever their past or their background, is so far from God that they can't be welcomed into an honoured place in his family. Even a Philistine could be added into God's people. But though the principle I was going to teach still holds true, and it's possible that Ittai might have been a Philistine, 
I can't prove that from this passage because on the whole it seems more probable that Itai the Old Contemptible wasn't a Philistine anyway. He was more like a Chelsea Pinchiner. <laughs> um, what I can do, though, is tell you something else about him. Itai means with me. And my word, doesn't he live up to it? Here was a man who had stuck with David through thick and thin over a period of about 32 years. He has seen him at his low points and in his victories. He's seen him getting things terribly, terribly wrong and having to repent in tears before God. He knows David to be the one chosen by God to rule over his people and he sticks to that unswervingly. So what would David mean by his words about you're a foreigner and also an exile, return to your own place. You came only yesterday, return and take back your brothers. Well, there's another reference to a man with the same name in many versions written exactly the same, but in some versions with an H in the middle, Ethai. He is listed as, as one of David's 30 mighty men in 1 Chronicles 11 verse 31, where he is described as Ithai, son of Ribai from Gibeah in Benjamin. And if he is indeed the same man, which seems very likely, then perhaps what we're seeing is the old soldier proudly coming back in yesterday from the provinces with all his comrades at the first sign of any trouble. And that would explain David joshing about his being a stranger these days and then gently saying, today shall I make you wander about with us when I don't know where I'm going? You're too old for this sort of thing, old man. But Ittai replied to the king, As surely as the Lord lives and as my lord the king lives, wherever my lord the king may be, whether it means life or death, there will your servant be. It isn't a question of convenience. It isn't even really any more of choice. It just is. It's a fact. I'm with you. And in Ittai, we see the same attitude as Simon Peter showed in John 6, when many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. And Jesus asked the twelve, you don't want to leave too, do you? It's been really discouraging. He's done all these miracles. He's had people thinking he's wonderful. And then as they begin to realize the consequences, the costs, they say, actually, I think I'll go home. And Jesus turns to his twelve and says, You don't want to, do you? And Simon Peter answers, Lord, to whom shall we go? You've got the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. That's all there is to it. So what's the lesson for you and me? No one knows anything much about Ittai the Gittite, just as no one knows anything much about you or me. But 2 Timothy 2 verse 19, the Lord knows those who are his. And he has promised, Matthew 28, 20, lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. So you and I, in every circumstance in which we can ever possibly find ourselves, now and forevermore, can say, Jesus is Itai. Jesus is with me. Just as Ittai was faithful and loved not his life unto death, so Jesus is the one who is faithful and true, according to Revelation 3. The eternal, unchanging Son of the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. James 1 verse 17. Now, is that, brothers and sisters, your settled and abiding confidence? 
unlike David, the son of David, Jesus, never gets things wrong. But there will have been times for each one of us when he's asked us to accompany him into situations of darkness and difficulty. You may be going through one now. And we've experienced, haven't we, the faithfulness of the one who died for us on the cross, took our sins down to the grave and to hell itself, and rose again to bring us into eternal life. So like John, you and I can truly say that we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So when we find ourselves having to go through problems and discouragements again, can there be any question in us as to whether we will stay with him, whatever befalls? When we find ourselves at the door of the fiery furnace, will we say, like Meshach, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, we don't need to defend ourselves. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it, and he will rescue us. But even if he doesn't, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you've set up. Or with Job, though he slay me, yet will I hope in him. Or like Habakkuk, though the fig tree doesn't bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Saviour. The Sovereign Lord is my strength. Jesus spoke Hebrew. So his words at Matthew 12, verse 30, will have been, he who is not itai, with me, is against me. The choice is wholly yours, whoever you are, and whatever you may have done, to come to him in repentance for your self-run, self-sufficient, self-reliant life, and in faith in his offer of salvation. And then when, as Malachi chapter 3 puts it, the Lord comes at the day of judgment to make up his jewels, will Jesus be able to save you? Oh yes, Father. That one is Ittai. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, it's wonderful. It's wonderful that when we are faithless, you are faithful. It's wonderful that our names are engraved on the palms of your hands, that nothing can erase them, that you are with us, you are for us, always, in every situation. Whatever mess we make of things, still you are there, faithful. Lord, it's wonderful in the other way that we are so often so faithless, how we let you down, how we follow the devices and desires of our own hearts, how we fail to stick with you. But Lord, you know that we want to be yours. We want to be faithful. We want you to be able to rely on us. So Lord, we say that we choose to be with you. Thank you, Lord, that you are Ittai to us, and you invite us to be Ittai with you. Amen.